0: In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, we're talking about Ethereum, and more specifically, Ethereum layer two season, which I believe is coming around the corner where we'll see an explosion of the Ethereum layer two ecosystem and a return back to true bull market form in the Ethereum space. And there are a bunch of different reasons why I think this is gonna happen, but most importantly, I think it's environmental conditions and some of the different um, factors that are going into the Ethereum space right now Uh, around the Ethereum ETF, uh, new upgrades to the Ethereum ecosystem, and just the normal rotation of capital into altcoins and altcoin worlds when Bitcoin does really well. So we're going to talk about a variety of things today. So without further ado, make sure you get subscribed and let's get started. So the main reason, first and foremost, why I think Ethereum Layer 2 season has not yet kicked off and then will soon Uh, is because of an upgrade to the Ethereum ecosystem. Before we get to that upgrade, I want to facilitate a little bit of learning on what the challenges are. And I think people know Ethereum is a little long in the tooth. There are some issues that it has, including sort of aging or established challenges with standards like the RC20 standard, uh, some of the issues around uh, building with solidity, which make writing really strong audited contracts, relatively difficult. We get all that stuff. But I think the most prevalent issue that people face is gas fees. It's scalability. It's the usability of the chain. People want instantaneous transactions. They want low fees and they want unfragmented liquidity. And Ethereum right now is a place where really only the wealthy can transact during peak times in particular, $20, $50, $75, $100 per transaction or more, depending on what you're trying to do. And there's a reason why those fees are so high. So you can think of Ethereum and many other blockchains like economies. And in Ethereum, you have a community of validators who drive the chain forward. They help finalize blocks of transactions and they're chugging along. But these nodes in the network, really computers running Ethereum software, they're also performing... Functions that take resources, cost electricity to run these computers first and foremost, but second of all, it takes compute and storage to execute smart contract logic and store that result in the chain. In certain cases, it takes resources to store that data. Data storage costs resources. And so what this is, is in a given block, you have a certain amount of gas and that certain amount of gas is basically a resource constraint. It's an upper bound of supply of resources to process transactions that you might be submitting or someone else might be submitting. And so that is where the scalability challenge comes from. And the fee market around gas is driven by demand that far outweighs the supply of gas in any given block. There's way more demand for block space, for compute and for storage resources on Ethereum than one can possibly handle on the Ethereum chain. And that is why gas fees are so high. And so we've seen a lot of movement around scalability solutions. And the driver for a lot of scalability in the Ethereum space is now a layer two focused ecosystem, which is basically use the layer one blockchain. That's the Ethereum mainnet for security, derived security. But do your transaction execution and all of that good stuff at scale on a layer two network that sort of sits above that uh, Ethereum mainnet and so you first saw uh, Arbitrum and Optimism which were uh, which are optimistic rollups and we'll talk about the difference between optimistic rollups and zk rollups in a second so stick with me and then you also had others that came out um, zk sync zk evm by polygon the list goes on and on and on there are tons of layer 2s in the ethereum space and a lot of them actually have some decent usage particularly Arbitrum and Optimism now when we look at The problem at the Ethereum mainnet level, though, is that layer twos also consume resources on the layer one because they obviously have to publish proofs of these transactions that happen on the layer two to the layer one. And so there is a scalability challenge in that as well. And that affects the fees that are offered on the layer twos. So there are now people saying, well, the Ethereum layer two fees aren't even that great. You know, I, I'm still paying decent a decent amount of fees on on layer twos. It's way lower, but it's not as good as something like a, a Solana might be. So how do we solve that problem? One of the foundational problems is that data storage component. If you think of an Ethereum block and you think of how much gas there is, how much resource how many resources there are to handle the execution and storage within a block, you can probably get that. You and me doing transactions of ERC-20 tokens and ERC-721 NFTs and Layer 2s trying to publish proofs to basically finalize transactions from the Layer 2 or process withdrawals, those also are requesting that same space in the same blocks that everybody else is trying to use. And that affects the fees that Layer 2s can offer. If they're paying high fees to finalize transactions on the Layer 1, then obviously those costs get distributed, redistributed to the users in many cases. So how do we solve this? And why should we solve this? Why does a layer two even need to publish data to the layer one? And so let's talk about that for a second. There is a concept here that you've probably heard a lot about recently because of some of the projects that have done really well in this space, that focus on this problem, and that's the data availability problem. It's basically when someone needs to access a certain bit of data to verify something, to use that for proofing, et cetera, is it available? Foundationally, the name is exactly what it means. It means that in this case, as a layer two, let's say an optimistic rollup, and I publish fraud proofs to the chain, I need to be able to guarantee that a user who wants to validate a given transaction can validate the validity or verify the validity of a transaction can that data needs to be available and so on the ethereum network data availability really happens by way of consummating it on chain here's the issue like we talked about before the economics of this are challenging because now you have people basically sharing one highway with layer twos what we're trying to do now what you see with the um Denkun or Denkun, well I don't even know how they pronounce it now, but this upgrade to the Ethereum ecosystem now is to sort of separate those two things, is to provide basically a separate rail or separate space for layer twos to publish these critical packets of data for data verification and data availability purposes. Layer twos, like I mentioned, they need to publish this data. And there's a reason for that. Like I mentioned before, layer twos in general, they are in sort of two categories optimistic rollups and ZK rollups. Both require data availability and data space on the Ethereum layer one. They rely on the finality and the security model of the Ethereum layer one. For optimistic rollups, they take an optimistic approach to transaction validity. They basically say, I'm going to assume this transaction is valid. I'm going to publish fraud proofs on chain, on the layer one. And then if there's a dispute, we, re- we rectify it, right? And so there's a waiting period for transactions to be truly final or for you to exit that layer two in an optimistic roll-up period or an optimistic roll-up uh, environment because of that optimistic approach. So it's assume the transactions are valid unless proven otherwise within a given period. So sort of a dispute period. ZK rollups, on the other hand, use very complex mechanisms effectively to bundle up a proof for a huge batch of transactions and then they publish that on chain and that's basically establishing those transactions as final. So you can see why people think or believe largely that ZK rollups are the future because they don't have that user experience blip with regard to the dispute period or the delay. That's involved. You don't have to assume transactions are valid until proven otherwise. You can verify them in place and you can execute them as if you were on the layer one. And so that's a talk for another day. And I don't think that one type of of layer two is going to win out entirely. And you can see that because Arbitrum and Optimism, which are optimistic rollups, even in the presence of ZK rollups are still doing quite well. So anyways, I digress on that point. Data availability foundational problem as you probably now understand based on what we just discussed you also now get that there's a solution in this denkun upgrade for ethereum it is dubbed proto Denk sharding and it is going to introduce blob space in addition to block space effectively it's separating those two things so that layer twos can use this blob space this arbitrary data space on chain for data availability on the layer one which will in turn ease some of the economic pain with regard to usage of these resources on chain for layer two data. And this is something that was missing when Ethereum went through the merge and we shifted to this layer two centric ecosystem. It was always, there was always this question, at what point do the layer twos no longer make economic sense to a user because the layer one is so congested and so painful to use. And during a bull market, it's only going to get worse. So proto protodank sharding, this Denkun upgrade, which is going to come this year, it's in the works, it's already been introduced in testnets. This is going to be a huge catalyst event for the Ethereum ecosystem, in my particular opinion. And that is because a lot of people are driven right now by where the economic activity is. So let's talk about why, why Solana. Why, why are people using Solana? There's a lot of economic activity around meme coins and DeFi, And interesting stuff going on there. There's a lot of airdrops happening, right? People come for the economic activity, but it needs to be accessible. So then people come, easy onboarding, low fees, virtuous cycle. You have cool things happening. Builders are building, users are coming. They're bringing in their their liquidity. They're using it because it has low fees. They're happy about that. Great. This same thing can happen in the Ethereum ecosystem, and it has over the last several years without strong Layer 2 presence uh, in reality. And so this year, I believe, with strong Layer 2 presence, with some of the technological issues being resolved actively, I think we could be in for a real treat with regard to Ethereum Layer 2s for the same reason. So this upgrade happens. Protodank sharding is introduced. Blob space can be used by Layer 2s. You have an immediate step change in the value proposition for layer twos. The fees that layer twos have to charge go down. In my opinion, they will go down relatively drastically. It may not be a 100% change. It may not be a 100% zero fees. But anyways, you get the point. It may not be massive, but it will be significant uh, based on what I think the projections are and what the calculations are uh, in terms of how this will be adopted. So you have this as a sort of catalyst event. It's setting the stage I think Ethereum's user experience is decent. I think there are some room there's some room for improvement, but you have years of wallet development behind Ethereum in the form of different wallets. I really like Rainbow. I'm optimistic about Rabby. Um, you know, MetaMask isn't that bad. I think people trash it a lot, but it's pretty decent if you know how to use it. There are still some outstanding user experience issues in Ethereum. Uh, People not understanding the complexity of e- Ethereum virtual machine executions, not verifying their transactions first, using approved functions on NFTs and ERC-20s and then getting funds stolen. Those things are bad. We are not ignoring those, but we're looking at this from an economic activity perspective. And I think the stage is set for the Ethereum ecosystem to explode as a result of lower fees, people building and then subsequently, users coming and bringing their liquidity. You also have excitement around DeFi, even in the old guard, right? Uniswap just recently did their fee switch. Now, the UNI token is going to be a revenue generator for owners. So, if you are a participant in governance for Uniswap, you're an owner of UNI, you are in a revenue generation place. You, you know, it's very interesting. We're going to talk about another reason why that's relevant in just a moment to this whole conversation. But what I mean is, is that we haven't yet seen that excitement level rise for Ethereum like we have for some of the other ecosystems yet. And some may say, well, that's because Ethereum is dead. Mm, I would beg to differ on that. And I think that history shows that that is the case. Of course, history repeats until it doesn't, but I'm only giving you my perspective. You're free to disagree with me and let me know why in the comments. Now, I alluded to the Ether ETF a little while ago. So we understand the technology part. Denkun upgrade introduces lower fees for for layer twos. And we're going to come back to another interesting point on that in a second. But I want to talk about the Ether ETF first. A lot of people on uh, crypto Twitter, I guess Crypto X now, are talking about an Ether ETF. So let's talk about that now what's the likelihood of an Ether ETF happening considering the SEC and their, to put it nicely, adversarial approach to crypto and they're reluctant to their chagrin approval of the Bitcoin ETF. I think that there are a lot of things in favor of an Ether e- ETF on paper, right? You have Members of the SEC and in previous trials, I, I believe in the Ripple trial, there was some discussion around these points that Ether being referred to as a commodity in the past, and that is true. That 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 is documented truth. It has been referred to as a commodity by members of the SEC included in the past. You also have uh, a sort of a precedent with the Bitcoin ETF that something like this can be done, uh, and that it does not have an immediate disastrous impact on the asset okay the third point is there's been analysis done on the the security model of ethereum and the strength of ethereum's economic security model and the impact of an etf on its security model which is something that i was relatively concerned about and actually i, I kind of still am where in a proof of stake environment you know in a different way than proof of work your economic uh, ownership of the network token or or coin, in this case, Ether, directly is correlated to your, your sort of your power in the network, right? And concentration of Ether in the hands of small individual parties is a relative concern. Now, there are mechanisms in the proof of stake design for Ethereum to work around this, and we get that. But what I mean is, is that in the net of time over a long period of time, concentration and increasing concentration of Ether supply does concern me slightly in a proof of stake environment, way more than it does in proof of work. In proof of work for the Bitcoin ETF, I was more concerned about people having control of the market in an extremely finite supply environment. If you hold three, five, 10% of supply, you can manipulate the market wholesale easily. That was my concern. On the other side, for Ether, I'm more concerned about impact to the network or even the perception of impact to the network because a lot of this is about trust and belief. So there are reasons why I think the E three ETF could be approved and there, are, there are, are definitely areas to argue that it could be approved. But we have to consider who we're talking about right now. Who are we dealing with? We're dealing with the SEC. We're dealing with Commissioner Gary Gensler. We're dealing with a... a An SEC that by and large does not think crypto should be a thing. I mean, it's very clear that that's the case. And so therefore, if you look at Ether and you think Ether was a coin offering, right? It it was. There were people in the room and I wasn't in the room during the coin offering. I wish I was, but I have a couple of people that I used to work with that were in the room during some of the early pitches for Ethereum and bought in right then and there and said, I want I want an allocation of tokens or of coins or whatever this Ether thing is, right? There was a token sale. There was distribution that way. And people can argue it, they could debate it, but that's just, that is how it happened. And I think it was done fairly. And I think that is completely reasonable to go that way. But the SEC is surely going to argue that that makes Ether a security. Proof of stake, Ether, your ability to earn yield on Ether for staking it in the network. They're going to argue that that makes Ether a security. And they're going to say, by that hand, an ETF needs way more scrutiny. We need to think about this more. And They're going to delay, 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 delay. And then I told you to go back to this Uniswap point. Now, on the Ethereum network, you have tokens that are in real deal security territory. When we originally talked about this, this was last year, I think. We talked about this on the show. The Uniswap fee switch or fee swap, I forget what they were calling it, to make the UNI token sort of a revenue generator and basically giving owners of the token a a cut of protocol revenue, I said that makes this coin in many ways a security. And so how is that going to get treated? Now, Uniswap Labs didn't just make this decision. So can they come after Uniswap Labs? This was community governance. Who are they even going to come after on this? Or are they just going to ban the coin altogether? Could they even ban the coin? Is that even uh, something that they could enforce? These are all big questions. And I think these questions are going to start getting raised in the discussions and deliberation for an Ether ETF. So while I think the speculation of an Ether ETF coming down the pike is going to be really profitable for a lot of people in the Ethereum ecosystem and their layer twos, because you saw the speculation for the Bitcoin ETF... No matter how many hurdles, everyone's like, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And we went up, 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 up. That could very well happen. But I'm not convinced yet, and I will update you on this channel if I change my mind. I'm not convinced yet that we have a slam dunk case for the Ether ETF right now. I think this is going to take time to do, and it's going to be a bigger fight than people think. If you have a differing opinion, though, let me know in the comments or on X at Hoshoshi4. Now, I want to circle back one more time to this data availability situation because I'm sure there are people sitting in their chair right now saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. You talked about proto-dank sharding. You talked about data availability and the economics of data storage on the layer one, but you completely ignored a huge part of this. And you're correct. I wanted to save it for a little later. There are data availability solutions that are separate and apart. They are alt da solutions or data availability solutions one of the big ones you can probably guess is celestia it's one of the main reasons why i've i I sat down at the towards the end of last year and i thought when is the ethereum pop going to come and we're thinking about all these upgrades i'm trying to figure it out i see celestia just exploding blowing up and why is it blowing up it's blowing up because it's solving a genuine problem and it was one of the first ones to really, really nail that that niche, in my opinion. So there was there's a, a another one called a Veil, I believe. Those two, I think, were were ones that were discussed the most. So, anyways, what was I saying? Celestia, Alt Da. I don't think that the Ethereum layer one proto Dank sharding is going to mean that. Celestia and all of these other Alt-DA solutions or data availability solutions are no longer relevant. What I think it is going to really result in is a niching down, the ability to specialize. It's going to create a market for data availability, juxtaposing cost, security model, and security guarantees and economic security. And maybe to an extent scalability, but those are kind of linked to each other, okay? So what that means is, is that some layer twos may opt to utilize a mix of of data availability solutions. Some may opt for, one, opt for one or the other. You're gonna start to see selective choices being made by layer two providers. And there are a ton of layer twos out there, more than I could even mention in this show because I didn't write any of them down. I'm just c- kind of coming up with them off the, to- off the top of my head. People are going to be, creating roll-ups like burgers this year, right? Like it's just like an assembly line. You're going to see the, the bar to create a ZK rollup right now is getting so, 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 so much lower than it used to be. And doing it right is still not necessarily easy, but you're going to see people chomping at the bit for data availability solutions. And this Ethereum layer one is not going to be the only one that makes sense for everyone. Okay. So what I'm saying is is that this Ethereum ecosystem layer 2 season, layer 2 summer, whatever you want to call it, is going to extend to these alt data availability providers and it is going to be fueled by and largely benefit as well a whole other breed of projects that I would broadly call these restaking projects, restaking, okay? What is restaking? And this is the final like home run smash for the Ethereum ecosystem, um, like liquidity influx or excitement overload, okay? Restaking, it's basically a way for people who hold ether in stake and they have either that ether or the derivative like steth, staked eth, whatever your derivative token is, and to apply that then to other protocols basically it allows you to restake that ether in other projects. So it's allowing you to extend the um, the security value, the economic value, uh, economic security value of that ether in stake to other things. So Eigenlayer is a project that's getting a lot of attention right now in the restaking space. And Eigenlayer is building out a ton of different ways to restake ether. You're going to see a ton of of restaking projects coming out into this this world in a very, very near future. And I have to tell you, I think I have concerns with regard to the sustainability of restaking solutions, because I think we're getting into an environment where people are basically stretching the value of Ether really, 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 really far. I don't know how sustainable restaking is in the long term. I would like to be wrong. It could be a huge, huge bubble that pops very dramatically. But this video is about the bubble. It's not about the pop. So bear that in mind as a warning. Parties always end. This party, if I'm correct, that it's going to start, is going to start. It will be really fun. And then it will end. And you need to be very mindful of when the end is coming. So do not think that this party will never stop. It will. I promise you, it will. I still believe that the combination of upgrades in the Ethereum layer one, the alt data availability solutions together. So Protodank Sharding, Celestia, Etal, all together are going to fuel lower fees, better user experience on the layer twos. You're going to see DeFi. You're going to see to an extent NFTs. You're going to see those things start to pop off again in the Ethereum space. And a lot of it could be driven liquidity wise by an influx of capital speculating on the Ethereum ETF or the Ether ETF, which may or may not happen quickly, but you know how speculation goes. And you will have restaking as well, which gives an opportunity, again, for people to extract economic value, okay? So you have a lot of catalyst events in the Ethereum space right now sort of converging, and we haven't really yet seen Ethereum get that level of excitement yet in this early stage of a bull run. So if we start to see... The market cap of crypto inflating expect ethereum to benefit from it not just altcoins and that is my last point of the day is bitcoin has been going on a major run now we've had a little bit of a cool down now and that's fine but when we have a cool down on bitcoin generally capital rotates into altcoins in bull markets we haven't seen and we have data to show we haven't seen retail flying into crypto like we have in years past. So when that happens, and I believe that it will happen on the back of institutional adoption and institutional buying, you could see that capital start to roll down into Ethereum and other altcoin ecosystems. So that is my thesis. That's what I'm thinking about right now. That's why I'm optimistic about Ethereum and its and its layer twos in particular, because it provides that low fee instant gratification environment that people really, really, really want. And we can tell they want it because of Solana and because of some of the other ecosystems out there. So to recap, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming. Please subscribe to the channel. If you'd like more videos like this, or you have a suggestion for a video or podcast that you are interested in watching or listening to, please let me know in the comments or in the suggestion box on the podcast. Really appreciate you stopping by. And hope you and your family have a great rest of your weekend. And until next time, cheers.